0: Hey, folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat-Burning Man, where we help you look, feel, and perform at your best. Which is healthier, a banana or a cookie? We're here with our old friend, Mr. Rob Wolf, New York Times best-selling author of *The Paleo Solution* and *Wired to Eat*, which explains why we're all hopelessly hooked on junk food. Before we get to the interview, I just got off the horn with Kat and Brent Pence, listeners from Oregon, who started the Wild Diet and joined the fat-burning tribe about a year ago after they watched our TV show on ABC. Since then, not only was their wild camping trip style wedding featured in Rock and Roll Bride, and the pictures are awesome, but Kat has also shed 40 pounds so far, and her husband Brent is down 47 without going to the gym. Instead of burning themselves out on the treadmill, they just focused on eating real food. So stay tuned to hear their whole story because it's a really fun one. And by the way, we're going to be releasing new episodes of this show bi-weekly instead of every week for the next month or so just to see how that goes. So if you want to hear more of these shows, don't forget that you can get all of the over 200 episodes I've already recorded for free at FatBurningMan.com. That's over 200 hours of this show with some of the top experts in health from around the world. I've been doing this for over five years now. And after many months and many dollars, we just launched a brand spanking new version of our website and added new bonus downloads that you're really going to like. We updated a free wild meal plan you can grab all the goodies at fatburningman.com. Just type in fatburningman.com from any device and put in your best email. We'll send all of the goodies straight to your inbox. But I have a quick question for you. Have you ever regained weight after losing it? Unfortunately, it happens all the time. So here at Fat Burning Man headquarters, we created the antidote. If you struggle with yo-yo dieting or regaining weight, We built the Fat-Burning Tribe just for you. You'll get 24-7 support to help you beat sugar addiction, conquer cravings, and get results that actually last. So whether you have 100 pounds to lose or you're training for your next marathon, we're here to help. So you can join the tribe for a listener discount at fatburningtribe.com. Losing weight and getting fit is a lot easier when you do it with people uh, who understand what you're doing, people who get it, And so we've worked really hard over the past few years to build this community of thousands of members from all over the world. Some of them have been eating wild for many years, including me and Allison, my wife. So you'll get to meet us in the members area. All you have to do is head on over to FatBurningTribe.com to join the fun. You'll get instant access to done-for-you wild meal plans, countless fat-burning recipes, workouts, articles, and, of course, our exclusive Facebook group where tribe members get all the support they need 24-7 so one last time from any device just type in fatburningtribe.com and if you want to support this free show here's a simple thing you can do just open up the podcast app or the stitcher app wherever you're listening to this if you're using your phone or tablet or if you're on a computer open up itunes search for fat burning man and subscribe to the show just click that little button you'll get all the new episodes for free and if you want bonus points this also really helps please leave a review for fat burning man on itunes stitcher or wherever you might be listening to this right now, it really helps. And if you're listening to the audio-only version of the show, you might not be aware that there's a 1080p HD video version of the show as well with my ugly mug as well as the guests and uh, some bonus little surprises there as well. And we're going to have some more fun making videos coming up. I can't talk too much about that quite yet, but if you'd like the video version of this show, you can actually find it in iTunes. There's a separate feed for that. Just look for Man video version and you can also get all the videos for free on YouTube and as always at FatBurningMan.com with no outside advertising or monkey business. Alright, onto the show with Rob. You're about to learn how junk food manufacturers use science to get people hooked, how the paleo diet saved the city of Reno $22 million, the answer to the question, which is healthier, a banana or a cookie and much more. Let's go hang out with Rob. Alright folks, Rob Wolf is a former research biochemist, California state powerlifting champion, and New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat. Rob is also a former California state powerlifting champion and holds the rank of blue belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He lives in Reno with his wife, Nikki, and daughters, Zoe and Sagan. Please welcome the reigning king of health nerds, Mr. Rob Wolf. Rob, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks,
1: man. With an intro like that, I should be taller than five foot nine. Thank you. <laughs>
0: That's one of the things that happens when, when people, I think, meet us in real life. I, actually, I think I've been with you at the same time. This has happened to both of us. And people you know, have heard our podcast or, or seen something we've done. They come up to us and they're just like, oh, I thought you were going to be a lot bigger in person. You guys are kind of small. Yeah, we Lilliputians, but you guys have big voices. So It's true. Yeah, yeah we have big voices. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's all TV magic. That's how right. the world works. Right. anyway. Yeah, that adds 15 pounds to, you, right? to us. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: But anyway, let's let's start with a a story that you mentioned in your new book, uh, which I love, by the way. But thank you. you, In your book, you you work with a high powered exec who you call Dan and Dan loves his donuts. He loves donuts so much, in fact, that it made
1: it completely impossible to work with him for you. So can you talk a little bit about what happened there? Yeah. So the, the back story with this, Dan is a multi-billion dollar net worth individual. Um, we got hooked up through a, a number of years ago through a mutual acquaintance. And I basically became his strength coach slash nutritionist. So I was supposed to put him through his workouts and and try to keep him in shape. And Dan's a, a big guy, like big frame guy, but he was over 400 pounds when I started working with him. And upon our first meeting, Dan had a half- gallon of ice cream in the sink which he pulled out and started eating (laughs) and as he started wrapping up the first half gallon of ice cream he took a second half gallon of of ice cream out of the refrigerator put it in the sink and waited for that and then started eating that and was just watching me was waiting for my response i was like hey man you want to go dive in front of a car, I probably won't prevent you. And if you want to eat yourself to diabetes, similarly, you know, I'm probably not going to stop that. So he was kind of like, huh, okay. So he hired me to basically travel the world with him and try to manage his food, manage his, his, uh, his whole ball of wax, which was pretty interesting. But yeah, the donut story, um, one evening, it was pretty late. I was walking through the house and I was like, what's that smell? That smells like donuts, you know? And, and so I followed the smell back to his office and I knocked on the door and opened it up and he's in there with a bag of Krispy Kreme donuts. And I'm like, where'd you get those? Because I had done my usual shtick of we cleaned out the print pantry, restocked it with appropriate stuff, talked to his chefs, talked to the staff. Like these are go items. These are no go items. This is what we're going to do. And he laughed and he's like, Oh, you know, and he laid out this story Where he had paid some of the house staff to go to Krispy Kreme, get a bag of a dozen donuts, drive to this one point at the security fence where this guy threw the bag over the fence. Somebody else was there to intercept it and they took it into him. And I'm like,
0: James Bond stuff.
1: It's totally, yeah, yeah, (laughs) the closest I've come to. And so I went to his wife and I was like, okay, so I need a cash fund for counter espionage. (laughs) What what this guy's up to. And um, that worked for a little while. But, you know, one of the other things. So this guy's a really amazing, super talented guy. But as is oftentimes the case with with super high powered folks like he is you know, a little prickly at times. And he didn't have a lot of intimacy with anyone, not his coworkers, not even really his family in a lot of ways. And, and uh, he definitely used money and power and influence as a way to manipulate people. And so. As I started offering money to- No no comment. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. As I started working with the house staff, I'm like, okay, what's he paying you? Okay, I'll pay you this to not go get the donuts. Then he just did this blanket statement. He's like, I'll fire anybody that doesn't do what I tell them to do. So then he changes the game and I went to him and I was like, so what are we up to here? And he's like, oh, it's not my job to make your job easy. I'm kind of enjoying this stuff. You know, this cat and mouse, spy versus spy deal. So I was like, OK, that's interesting. And I started thinking about this and just kind of watching the whole pattern layout, you know, this kind of distance. The only people he was really like just open with were his children who were pretty young at this point. And it was just the the usual kind of armor that he had um, was gone. And he was incredibly accessible. I was noodling on that, noodling on that. And then one day at breakfast, it was just he and I there. We're chatting, we're chatting. And I I was kind of relating how grateful I was that I had this opportunity to work with him. It was helping us get our gym going and Chico and all this stuff. And then I just kind of out of nowhere, I looked at him. I'm like, so who didn't love you? And he like stopped. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, somebody didn't love you. Somebody somewhere along the line, you got hurt. All this food stuff is not about the food stuff. It's about something else. What, who didn't love you? And he's a big dude. And he got really, really mad, and I thought I was gonna die. Right. <laughs> I, I, <I'm> like, <laughs> All of a sudden, you were 5'9 nine again. <laughs> definitely, yeah, and um, I just kept probing and poking, and it was kind of almost that goodwill hunting deal where it's not your fault, it's not your fault, you know. And eventually, he kind of caved in, and he actually, you know, became physically or, or emotionally overwhelmed, kind of cried and everything. And he said, just related this very quick story that both of his parents were high achievers; um, they were super busy basically left him with his nanny. The nanny saw this really precocious, emotionally abandoned kid who was sad and lonely. And so she started cooking him all these like amazing breakfasts and desserts and uh, they would sing and play. And it was all around this food. And so all of this stuff, you know, love effectively became food. And then because of the abandonment, there was this kind of desire for power so that he could keep people at the place that he wanted them, you know, and uh, I would argue probably drove a significant amount of his success. Our world is a better place because of what he's done. Um, But it was really at cost to him. And so I said to him, I can't work with you anymore. You you need to go find a therapist and the therapist. uh, My recommendation is you talk to the therapist about the fact that this isn't a food issue. You don't need a healthy relationship with food. You need to figure out how to reconnect to the people that you love in your life. You have to figure out how to appropriately use money, power and influence and not not as a lead pipe tool and it would be uh, ethically inappropriate for me to keep working with you and just papering over this problem and focusing on the food and not focusing on the underlying issues. And he was kind of stunned. Like he had never been fired before. Right? <laughs> he was the firer, not the firee. And particularly, I mean, it was tough for me. We were just getting going and I had never made money like this in my life, you know, and getting to travel as part of it. But, um, kind of a weird ethical strain in me. And, and uh, you know, I, I just wasn't going to profiteer at this guy's suffering. And it was a lot of work on his part and a lot of suffering and a, a very nearly a divorce going through this process of kind of self-discovery. But now he hovers around the low 200s. He has better days and worse days. But I mean, a dramatic difference versus being over 400 pounds. And he has a really solid relationship with his friends and his family. I mean, he's a very different person. He can still be a prick. He yeah. can still be a prick. Those tendencies are still there, but there's a very different person going on there. And it all was an outgrowth of kinda, you know, it had been years of focusing on food and it had nothing to do with the food. The food was a symptom of just, you know, being hurt, lack of intimacy, wanting to control people in an inappropriate way. And and props to him, he got in and did the hard work and the heavy lifting to uh, to deal with that stuff. But before that tough moment, when essentially you fired him, he had no idea. Right. It was totally under the radar. Just a reflex, just reflex. Yeah. And then it reflects in a person that's probably like a 200 IQ. So he's not used to getting blindsided by anything. He's like a supercomputer that's mapping the probability potentials of his universe, you know, for 50 years in the future. And so this uh, little pipsqueak uh, strength coach who was like. Ding, you know, and just like got him, you know, the Achilles heel kind of gig.
0: I think it, a lot of people who are listening, we both have pretty, you know, cool audiences, Rob. I, I know this, but a lot of people who are more on the intelligent end of the spectrum, I think there's a, a big tendency for exactly that to happen because deep down there's there's this thing where you want to kind of deny the fact that you are in an animal's body, right? Mm-hmm. That you are deeply attached to this world and as insignificant as any other little worm on the, right. this, this earth, right? So there's there's something in you that wants to, uh, you know, build up your ego and say I can take control of this or whatever. It's it's food. This is what I
1: like. Uh, it's as simple as that. But no, it's it's actually killing you. Yeah, and it was uh, it's interesting. The guy's been a lifelong friend now, but it was um, it was a rough deal. That was a rough thing. And you know, looking back, I feel good about it. like I had some fear about letting go of that because it was really. It was bankrolling the beginning of our gym and getting all that stuff going. We had not yet established traction with what we were doing, but it gave me a little seed to to kind of get us launched forward. And then we got in and hustled, and and we've been very fortunate and very successful as a consequence. And I look back at that and I'm like, that was the ethically correct thing for me to do, even though it was financially almost disastrous, you know? Yeah. Right. I've I can think of at least a half
0: dozen times when that's happened to me too. It's like financial insecurity or moral ambiguity. Right? right. As Especially someone working in the health field, you're confronted with that fork in the road more often than you realize. Uh, and, and you don't always realize what, when you're right in the middle of it. But as I was saying before we started this interview, and I, I just like to tip my hat publicly, for years you've been an example, I think, of someone who does your very best to make the right moral and ethical decision and not grow at the expense of everyone around you which is what happens when you really try to push ahead too fast. And oftentimes in today's world, you see that rewarded uh, more often than not, unfortunately. Right. The opposite right. of what should be right. rewarded. Uh, so what would be, uh, understanding that a lot of people who are listening right now are running their own gyms, are, are trainers, or uh, you know, are, are just people running their own small businesses, or even their own lives, what do you do at that fork in the road? Was there something that you learned from that experience that allowed you to navigate
1: that the next time it came up. Mm. That's a really good question. I'm not entirely sure. Like I, it, I'm not throwing this out as like a hero thing or anything oh, no. like yeah. that, but I've just been the guy. The only time I've really gotten beat up in my life, there was a gay black man that was at a, a county fair. And there were these four cowboys that were giving him what for. And it was clearly going to turn physical. I didn't know this guy. I got involved. I ended up with a broken nose, a ruptured eardrum, but two of the cowboys went to the hospital and this guy is still a lifelong friend, like almost 20 years later. And there's just that, that deal where like the underdog, the person that's being taken advantage of, if I see that I'm also the knucklehead that like somebody, you know, there's an accident on the side of the road. I pull over and like get out the med kit and the the gloves. Yeah. I, I was EMT in my past life. I'm just that person, like, I can't not do that. But I I throw that out there in that, um, because I can't not do it, it's almost a reflex deal. So I don't think there's like some sort of necessarily like moral (laughs) superiority to it. I think in the evolutionary shakeout, there's a certain number of people that's like, okay, you're going to be incredibly empathic. You're probably going to die in the process, but you're going to help some people doing it, you know? And, And, um, and I think part of that has been involved with some of my my business stuff, you know, like there's some really laudable elements of CrossFit, for example, I used to work for those guys. There's some kind of ugly stuff about it too. And I ended up getting bounced from those guys because I I was really vocal about some of the uglier elements of what I saw going on, but I just couldn't not do that. And again, like I was getting like a mid six figure income from those guys and to speak up that, that was again, this control and like, I'm kind of a, a libertarian and like, I like freedom and people being able to to choose their own way. And when, when I see scenarios where people are being yoked and controlled, particularly on that, that kind of financial level, it's like the, you know, reptilian fo- forebrain comes forward and it's like, okay, we're in a fight now. You know, I'm not gonna, I just can't not do something about the kind of victimization that's going on there, or at least I'm not going to play a part in it. So, it's just something that's kind of hardwired into me and I don't know that it's particularly more like morally laudable or it's <laughs> sure. not something, it's not something I cultivated. I was hatched with it, you know, and I would be surprised if there's just a peppering in any given population. There's a su- certain number of people who are like me. Yeah. And probably there's a certain number of people who are my antiparticle. Right. Like, and everybody can, you know, the world can burn down. I don't care. And there's probably some, good reason for that from kind of an evolutionary biology perspective, you know, I, I, not to make it too reductionist, but, and also I'm just not that bright. And so if I keep things really, really simple, then I don't need to remember what lies I told to people and what stories I'm trying to generate. It's just kind of, you know, straight ahead. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Well, how about this then? In the day and age when Google spits out anything
0: at you, uh, how do you know? who to trust or, or where to go other than, you know, the science, right? The, right. Uh, the obvious one. It, it just seems like there's so much misinformation out there. This is nothing new, of course, in, in health and fitness, right. but it does seem like the rug has kind of been pulled out from underneath everyone because let's, let's go back to 2010, the paleo solution comes out. I'm just launching fat burning man on this blog. If you, if you typed a question into Google or into the search, Something came back. It was probably your blog, or you know, Mm -hmm. Lauren Cordain's, or or a doctor, an academic. You know, something that had been there for 15 years on the internet. You know, that was built for dial-up, that still had frames and you know, like starfish (laughs) emoticon kind of things flying down in the back. But now it just seems like. A paleo especially has been co-opted by a lot of marketers who have no idea what it even means. So where does that leave us? How do you maintain some element of truth to the overall message
1: when it's so easily co-opted these days? Man. And again, this is going to be I don't know if this is going to be super valuable for folks, but it, it is to the degree that I've had success, whether it was as a researcher or doing this kind of health stuff early on and again i think this is because i'm not actually that bright i just need good good operating systems to figure (laughs) things out but really early on and i probably give a little hat tip to my dad about this he gave me a really good interest in science and economics and kind of systems thinking and i i don't even know that he knew he was doing that and so you know people will have discussions about say like global warming or something like that or, or here's a better one that's less controversial like uh, should we use bioethanol to drive our cars I'm like well that's just a simple thermodynamic and economic question do we get more energy out or does it require more energy in and the answer is it requires a net input of energy so it's a net loss so we shouldn't do it done you know and, and if you can tweak that equation I, i've talked to a guy Russ Conser, who's a former systems engineer from Shell Oil, who's like, you know, if you could tweak a couple of variables, it could be a net energy win. And and I'm like, okay, cool. But I look at the world through some really basic lenses, this thermodynamics idea, which is a fancy word for just energy flow and for our world to work and for us to work. So this is, you know, if we live as hunter gatherers or our cats and dogs live out in the wild. They need to obtain more calories out of their environment than what they spend getting it or they're dead. And this is part of what I talk about in Wired to Eat, the whole neuroregulation of appetite. As a society, we need to figure out ways of extracting energy out of the, the environment that costs us less energy than putting out. Um, I think there's some really simple kind of economic elements of like incentives and moral hazard and stuff like that that if we align all these things people tend to do better stuff and if we are sloppy with that then we have really big problems that pop up and so most everything and then on the health scene i really use this evolutionary biology lens that's the starting place with it though it's not the end like that that's one of the problems of the paleo concept is that these concepts got written into stone and then these stone tablets were carried down from the mountain. It's like, I have 15, 10, 10 commandments, you know, and uh, to steal from Mel Brooks. and yeah. uh, and that really doesn't do people any good. you know, they they spent years asking questions of, is this paleo instead of asking, is this a good option for me? So I think that that evolutionary biology perspective, in particular with health, is incredibly informative as a starting place but then we need to have some degree of of nuance and understanding to kind of go deeper. But I've just found a lot of success with, you know, using these big picture things of energy, evolution, economics, and like ecology and systems thinking. And then whatever information I'm being given, you know, if somebody's saying, oh, there's a perpetual motion machine, I'm like, "Huh? okay, let's think that through like that. That would be really fascinating, but it it seems very, very hard to do. Yeah. Right. Working on it. But what if yeah. you have a, a cute butt on
0: Instagram and 1.3 million followers? Is, is that someone worth trusting? It's <laughs> someone worth following. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess what I mean is, is it's so quick now that people kind of rise up and have an ability to influence a conversation. And, and I think one of the strengths of what you've built and what I've tried to build as well is that it has some, like you mentioned ancestral health, evolutionary biology, Yes, and also common sense, right? Because there's this neophilia that we all have these days and and new things are popping up all the time. I think that's getting worse, right? We're even more obsessed with the new big thing because it is accelerating so quickly and now we can edit genomes and and change human biology and it is getting kind of crazy, but you need to keep that common sense. You need to know how to make chicken broth yourself at home, right? We need to make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that Uh, Working with nature is a good idea. Working against nature probably isn't the best call when you're looking at the future, whether you're talking about sustainability or our own health. So from a philosophical level, where do you – how do you know you're making the right decision when you're going after health trends these days, right? There's something uh, new or it's like going out and getting sun. That's a great example, right? The sun, it's good and evil. Eggs, good for you, bad for you. And I think a lot of people like – like Dan are just like screw it, I'm eating a donut, and that right, feeling right. they have that more than ever, right? Like I worked with uh, Kurt Morgan on the ABC TV show. He was 100 mm-hmm. pounds overweight to begin with, and uh, that was the thing more than anything else that we were fighting. It's like there's a fast food chain right there. I went there for 20 years. That's where all my you know work friends are eating lunch right now. I know it's bad for me. How do
1: I not just like turn in? Right. Well, particularly because uh, when we start thinking about so I have these four pillars of health, sleep and photo period, food exercise. And I'd like to call it movement and then uh, community. So this guy had a lot of community locked up in that joint. You know, there's a bunch of history. There's a bunch of like emotional connectivity. So not only is the food delicious and it's hyper palatable mm. cocaine, like <laughs> in the brain. <laughs> yeah, hyper palatable. Let, let, you know, let, let's face facts, you know, like as good is a piece of pork loin or something like that is with some Brussels sprouts. It's not nachos. It's not a Sunday. Like those things are just like, yeah, I'll push that old lady down yeah. get in front of it and eat it. And, uh, and so it's, you know, the deck is stacked against us in that favor from left, right and center. And these food producers, here's an interesting kind of aside. I've been working on a blog post around this, but when they developed Facebook and Twitter, part of the the engineering process was looking at what makes things habitual and addictive. And they were looking at the evolutionary biology of our brain and neurotransmitters and dopamine release. And they're like, oh, we need novelty and all this stuff. And it's been shockingly effective. The guys who get us addicted to social media that consumes inordinate amounts of our lives, they understand this evolutionary biology story really well. The people who make hyperpalatable foods like the, Lace potato chip folks and stuff like that. They have evolutionary biologists working with them and they have flavor chemists and whatnot. So these people who are profiteering arguably from our suffering really understand that it's important to, if you want to drive this boat forward for them, Hey, if we understand this evolutionary biology, if we understand on a fundamental level, how people are wired to eat wired to uh, consume social media, we're going to win. And they do what's the Lay's potato chip line? Bet you can't eat just one. Remember you the whole commercial? Whole yeah, that's their commercial, bet you can't eat just one. And With man, Larry they- Bird
0: when he was bald, I remember I was a kid, I was so shocked when I saw that. It, that, that commercial was probably one of the most remembered commercials right. Of that ever, right? It was great, but it's, it just, it's a great example
1: of how pernicious it is and right. how just like blatantly evil that is at the same time, right? Yeah, and the the irony. And I don't want to get off track too much, but our gatekeepers, most of the folks in medicine, most of the dietetic scene, we're still in a fight with the bulk of those people to even say, "Hey, this ancestral health thing might be important." And they're like, "No, that's ridiculous." Really, uh, yeah, and and so the the gatekeepers who are supposed to help us are not even aware of this operating system to look at the world through this this perspective. The people who are profiteering off this stuff are super savvy experts in this topic. Experts in profiteering
0: and and health or fitness is just the vertical. That's just like the little niche that they're targeting, right? But they're not, they're experts in the different
1: thing. <laughs> no, 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 but, but they're experts in, oh, the evolutionary biology, if we tweak it this way, it'll make yes. these potato chips addictive. If we tweak a social media platform, you will burn eight hours a day cracking out on this because it's hitting that dopamine, receptors in a way that you want one more. You want one more, but you're never, ever satisfied. Like if you were ever satisfied, then you would stand up and walk away. And so those guys understand that really well. The people who are supposed to be helping us don't understand it at all. And so that it's kind of like there's a boxing match and the, the medical providers are literally blindfolded and maybe like one arm behind their back, which is why they're just getting the absolute, you know, pounding that they're taking and it's interesting to me that on this kind of ancestral health level and beyond what i think is cool about this scenario even though back back to your point and i I did try this back into the you know like the cute butt and the 1.5 million instagram followers the cool thing about dietary shifts even though they are quite challenging to do dietary lifestyle shifts If we can do it for 30 days, we can see how we look, feel, and perform. Maybe we do some blood work before and afterwards. And then you can just stand back and assess this thing and say, like, hey, was this a worthwhile deal? Yes or no? Yeah, okay, I I look, feel, and perform better. And it was kind of a pain at times. But, yeah, I'm going to keep generally doing this. If you want to change religions, you're having an argument about religions, you got to die to figure out who's right. And then maybe you do, maybe you don't. You know, You don't really know. But with this dietary stuff, we can establish what do you want to do? I want to do X. Okay. You're starting here. You want to do that. Let's build this, you know, in this way, 30 days from now, we can see how you look, feel and perform and we can go forward with that. So I think one cool thing about the ubiquity of this information is that there is this opportunity to have these competing ideas and people can try it on like a sweater and see how they, they do and see if the risk reward scenario is worth it. There is a lot of Dead ends with it. You know, and I guess one of the rubrics that people can filter to this stuff through is if it's effective, it's probably free or virtually free. I to bed earlier, turning the lights off. You have to eat. You have to eat, right? Or you're going to die. So make better food choices. Everybody knows that they're going to live a better life if they're generally active. You don't have to lift weights all the time. You don't have to cross, but figure out something. You know, that's going to improve the movement quality of your life. Everybody on an instinctual level knows that when they have good social connectivity to good people and when we are good people to the folks around us, good things happen. You know, and I mean, unfortunately, there are folks that are in dysfunctional relationships, but this is part of the thing. You know, it's like when you have that understanding, it's like, oh, this dysfunctional relationship is negatively impacting the rest of my life. I need to do the internal work to be able to address that. All of that stuff, there's work involved, but it's not nine easy payments of ninety nine, ninety five. Right, you know, yeah. I mean, it's generally free. The stuff that's going to get us there. There might be a few little, you know, upsells. Okay, I'm going to buy some blue blockers. Okay, fifteen to thirty bucks if you want to get those schwannies and really kick your heels up. Yeah. when you're talking five. But you know, there's a little bit there. There's some supplements. There's buying better quality food. But again, it, it's not. Crazy. And I think that when we start seeing things like, uh, you know, these mega supplement packs and and some sort of quick fix sort of deal that has a big price tag to it, you know, there's some problems there. I, I was just at this UCSF evolutionary medicine conference and um, one of the docs there had a, a picture of a plate and it was an empty plate. And he's like, okay, we need to build community. Nobody likes to cook. Let's do an intermittent fasting potluck, which is basically everybody shows up with empty plates. That's and they, amazing. You know, like, oh, amazing. It's amazing. But, you know, there's something. It's like, uh, man, how anti-marketing is that? It's like, oh, here, I'm recommending the intermittent fasting diet. And it's like, well, what's involved with that? It's like, don't eat for a while. You know? no. <laughs> and you almost want to. Nailed it. Date. <laughs> But those things, you know, like fasting, we know is really, really powerful and and, yeah. uh, and it's effectively free. Maybe you maybe you buy a webinar or something where somebody really talks about the details of like mTOR signaling and stuff and you kind of understand the mechanism. But for you to enact it in your life, you're just like. Okay, I'm not eating till this afternoon and I didn't have anything since yesterday's afternoon free and possibly one of the most effective things that you could ever do in your life.
0: Yeah, and I would argue that the most valuable things that you could find aren't the new things that you could do or eat or try. It's things to stop doing right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I even I grew up I was a runner did track and field and cross country and that sort of thing. Uh, but i was i was plagued by whenever i kind of reached that peak and got pretty fast and i'd get shin splints i'd hurt my knee i'd do something bad it was i was running with the wrong form mostly because of shoes and when i finally re-examined my form got rid of the shoes that were wrong for my foot and the way that i was supposed to move all of a sudden i could run 30 miles and it wasn't that big of a deal you know i didn't i started not being injured anymore i and so i kind of applied that to a lot of the different thinking about Food lifestyle in general. And man, what a win it is when you're just like, I'm not going to do this thing anymore. You know, right. I, I got fed up recently and, and we've been listening to NPR a lot, just keeping up with everything on the news because we're like, what's going to happen? Oh, my God, it's crazy. Right. This is a wild time to be alive. And I'm just like, you know what? This is making me nuts. I'm just not going to listen to the news right. for the next like few months and just going to make some music instead, you know, and right. like read books and do things that are just you know that that fasting type of rebellion that you talked about it's like i'm going to do my own thing right now and, and create something because that's what we need so yeah, yeah I, no, I, that's I, amazing I, and for you man there's so many different things to talk about but i want to make sure we don't skip over this the 33 30 to 1 return on investment that you mm-hmm. mentioned in your book in reno is so huge a lot of people struggle when they're looking at individual lives to be like okay This is how much my health costs. It's hard to factor in insurance, healthcare, all that stuff. It's really expensive, it matters, but for most people it's like eating healthy isn't worth it. That organic food thing, too expensive for me. But from a systems perspective, like you mentioned before, top down, looking at how this works in aggregate, can you explain some of the return on investment you guys got
1: when you started applying this? Yeah, so I'm part of a medical clinic here in Reno, Nevada, I'm on the board of directors. And it's interesting, these guys were founded as an orthopedic risk clinic. So it's a bunch of back doctors that used to do back surgeries and occasionally still did, but they really critically looked at the literature and they're like, man, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, this cohort had surgery, this cohort didn't have surgery, and the differences between them are minor other than the surgery people seem to do worse and you have all the dangers of just going under the knife under any circumstance. So they became very savvy at looking at risk, you know, and they would go into a work environment and somebody's doing a lift and twist deal and they would assign some sort of a risk value on that. And then the employer would purchase kind of an insurance policy against that person because at some point that lift and twist is just gonna become a problem. And they would try to minimize cost by teaching them better uh, mechanics and whatnot. Okay, so that's going on in the background. And then down at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and this is back, I think, like 2002, 2003, in a one-month period, three UNLV police officers suffered vascular events, two heart attacks and a stroke, two strokes and a heart attack, I forget which. But in Nevada, as with many other states, it's assumed that these cardiovascular events are likely an outgrowth of work-related stress, work-related challenges. So it becomes a workman's comp, L&I issue. Most of these people are medically retired. The on the books costs are about $1.5 million to medically retire these folks. The real costs can be five to 10 times more than that. And if you do any poking around about like underfunded pensions and underfunded liabilities that municipalities have, this is where it's coming from. Our, Our healthcare costs are on an exponential growth curve. Our incomes are not on exponential growth curves, at least not virtually any So there's these huge problems popping up to say nothing of the loss of life that, you know, like a a cop or a firefighter dying in the line of duty at the age of 35. You know, it's a huge deal. So these folks in Reno asked the question, can we find these people early and can we do something to change this whole story? So they started screening them for metabolic issues. They had some interface with Gerald reeven out of Stanford, who's the guy who coined the term metabolic syndrome. So they started finding these folks. And then as good doctors, they found the metabolically deranged people and they put them on a high carb, low fat American Dietetics Association diet. And these cops and firefighters who eat the cop and firefighter diets and were sick, got sicker on the American Dietetic Association diet. And we have two years of data on this where it's like triglycerides were bad and they got worse. HDL was low and it got lower, you know, and, and, and uh, people were fat and they got fatter. So they said, okay, this high carb, low fat Rondial thing. Diet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, so this high-carb, low-fat thing doesn't really seem to be working. We've heard about these low-carb guys, and so they tracked down, like, Gary Taub's books and then eventually my book, and they managed to put together this pilot study where they looked at 35 police and firefighters uh, that were at high risk for type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, put them on a paleo diet, modified their sleep and exercise as best they could, and based off the changes in the blood work and the health risk parameters, they estimated that they've saved the city of Reno about $22 million prorated over a 10 year period with a 33 to one return on investment. And I've spent the last five years trying to take this thing and scale it up to the masses, but it's fascinating. And interestingly, it was that study inspired me on the one hand to say, okay, there really is something this ancestral health template. And I, I want to do another Attempt to get this story out there and maybe not lead. So like caveman centric to it. So it can maybe be more palatable to folks. So it, on the one hand, it, it shone a light on that. On the other hand, the difficulties of launching this program and getting buy in it really shined a light on how the incentives are aligned against health and wellness. You know, like the way that we incentivize people to or not to do things. And this starts just basically at the government subsidized junk food industry, you know, where these massive amounts of grains and grain oils are produced. And then it's like, well, we need to do something with this, and so we'll turn it into snack wells and and potato chips and stuff like that. So all of that stuff is kind of lined up. A lot of the healthcare elements are are lined up in a way that we're not really cost conscious or, or motivated to save money. The exceptions there are, are companies that are what's called self-insured captives, where they basically take some money and put it into a, an investment fund is essentially what it is. And they want to manage it well. And so those folks who've had some pretty good success getting them motivated by this, but we presented this stuff to like the biggest Insurers in the United States that exist. It was kind of incredible that we got down and, and sat down and talked to them. And they were just jaw dropped. They're like, this is amazing. I can't believe something like this has been done. But for our scenario, saving costs like this really isn't going to move the, the needle for us. So. Right. Yeah, and I'm like, are you kidding me? No, we don't want a 33X our money. <laughs> right, right. But But the interesting thing is within the context of that, police and fire scenario, the chief of police, the chief of fire, um, they established a culture where, you know, if you were what, what they called one of the dead men walking, it's like, yeah, you are going to comply with this or like you're going to be scrubbing toilets in Siberia type type deal. And,
0: So it was it was the community that kind of flipped the switch on that.
1: Yeah. And that's been the challenge of trying to figure out, well, how do we scale this? You know, and we've thought about the idea of running this stuff out of gyms. I've had this this saying the gym as primary care medicine, like a well run gym. You'll learn about sleep and food and exercise and you have community baked in the cake. And there's some opportunities there and there are entities that are heading that direction. And I think community medicine is really going to be. The future, historically, because of antibiotics and just pharmaceuticals in general, patients have been a very passive consumer. You go to the doctor, the doctor says you have X, Y, Z, and then they give you whatever pharmaceuticals That has failed for degenerate, chronic degenerative disease. It does not work to address those issues. The patient must be participatory. They have to exercise. They have to sleep better. They have to eat better or it's not going to work. There is not going to be a pharmaceutical intervention that fixes all that. Not not anytime in the immediate future, not before our, our systems collapse under the burden of, of yeah. this management. So yeah, that community piece is really interesting. And that's it's both a it's a beacon for thinking about how to structure this, but it's also a pretty good challenge. Like where do you take this? Do you take it to churches? Do you take it to CrossFit gyms? Like who are the communities that they are tightly together woven enough That you present this to them and say, Hey, we can save you a lot of money and save some lives. You're going to live to an old age. And then when you die, you can be healthy today, gone tomorrow. And people are like, Okay, yeah, let's sign me up on that. There's not a lot of communities like that anymore. And so uh, figuring out how to replicate that because you need that accountability, you need that support because you're asking people to make some pretty profound changes. And again, all the incentives are aligned against them. They walk into an average supermarket. and there are 50,000 food-like items in that supermarket, 11,000 new items a year. And most of them are hyper palatable, super tasty, really interesting. And we're asking them to you know, go to the periphery of the store and buy food and cook and allocate time and resources to that. And it's a, it's a big ask for a lot of people. Yeah, but that's so interesting because once the community gets the idea
0: that nutrition is important, that you're on the hook for it. I could see that societal shift actually happening pretty quickly. If we got organized about it and all of a sudden you weren't made fun of for eating well, but you were made fun of for not eating well, we could change all of this by tomorrow. Like Pokemon Go did for a second, right? Like All of a sudden people are out and about and they're eating vegetables for the first time in public. But I think that that is kind of the promise. It's interesting that you mentioned that too because nutrition is not cool at all until you set foot in like an elite gym. Right. Right. Until you're kind of an elite athlete or you're someone who's trying to get better, then all of a sudden it's the coolest thing ever and you can get too obsessed about it. But I really appreciate the fact that you help everyone keep a level head about this and you have for years, Rob. You've you've been fantastic and we are running out of time, but there are a couple other things that I wanted to cover really quickly. And this one is where we're going to get meta uh, because you're the father of, of two daughters growing up in a the craziest future ever. I think we can all agree. But what are some of the things, you know, raising the next generation that you think we should all be thinking about, that we're gonna have to face in the next five to 10 years from a health perspective, that that you're kind of wrestling with right now that other people might not be aware uh, aware
1: of? I doubt if folks are unaware of this. I think that the uh, technology interface, you know, like social media and connectivity, that's gonna be really interesting to deal with because on the one hand, man, that smartphone is so handy. like. My daughter and I were were out in the pasture that, that we live on, three acres, and we're out farting around out there. And she's all, "Dada, what's this plant? Can we eat this plant?" I'm like, "I'm not sure." And there, I poked around, and there's a plant ID app where there's a group of botanists who basically donate time because they love this stuff. So you take a photo, give it a description, ship it into the app, and then it just goes into a queue. And then these botanists just kind of go through and look at it. And they're like, we're pretty sure that that's that. And so I'm wow. getting a human response. And it was like three minutes and I got a ping back and I'm like, Zoe, I think that that's like this plantain deal, you know, and, and it is edible. And so there's some amazing stuff like that. And I mean, this was cocaine for her. She's like, Dada, let's ID all these plants, you know, Wow, I mean, that's wow. cool. It's that. Yeah. Four years old and, and, you know, just jazzed on this. So that's really cool. Very occasionally, we will let the girls play something like an Angry Birds or a Daniel Tiger like game on the phone. Inevitably, this ends in a crying fit, almost a spanking, and then two or three days of them begging to play it again. And you're just like, it's like oh. a drug. It's completely drug like, totally drug like, over the top drug like. So, man, how do you strike a balance with that? I don't totally know, you know, and then uh, we look around it. We have some friends that have kids that are maybe 10 years older than Zoe and Sagan. So they're going through high school and they're doing all this stuff and they're great kids. But there's a remarkable amount of social connectivity and social pressure that comes out. Like some of these kids have had some sexting incidents between boyfriends and girlfriends it's and really now, yeah. pretty, pretty dodgy and some stuff that. I'm having two daughters. I'm just like, oh, (laughs) yeah. But then there's a piece of it of if you had a kid that wasn't socially connected that way, are they going to be part of any peer group? Like if that is the interface, if that's the neural shunt that they are plugged into the matrix with, like, you know, so uh, in an effort to save them from that process because it's addictive and maybe they don't exercise as much and maybe there's weird social pressure that pops up over it is that more damaging or is excluding them from the basic technological interface that seems to be part of being human now, is that gonna be more damaging? I don't know, so I mean, but I, I think that that connectivity piece is gonna be a really huge issue and it's interesting. Social media is kind of the junk food of community. Yeah, it feels like it's real community It occupies the time that we could allocate to real community every once in a while, you know, like Palo FX and stuff like that. It leads to real community. So you can kind of get some associations there, but it's not real community. It's not someone that you hug and shake their hand and look them in the eye and and really enjoy the interaction with them or maybe not enjoy it, but have a real, you know, a real interface with somebody. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting that's going to be super interesting. And I have no good answers to it. It's a complete crystal ball that I keep shaking and trying to figure out what to do with it. But I'm happy that both my wife and I have a decent amount of just awareness around this. It's like, okay, there's an issue. We don't really know the right, right way to navigate it. So we'll take a little incremental steps and probably be a little on the conservative side, you know, with how we respond to it and conservative in that, um, You know, we might be a little more lenient in some ways of letting them interface with this stuff because it is the dominant culture. So maybe we lean a little more towards that because, I mean, there's nothing that will break a person quicker than being really socially isolated. So to the degree that there is social connectivity, maybe we have to lean that way or, you know, maybe we stick within like kind of the Montessori school system and stuff like that. And she hangs out with kids that aren't super deep and uh, constantly assailed by the technology piece. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's, uh, we're working yeah. on it. We'll figure it, it can out and process
0: for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the good news is that a lot of things are improving incredibly quickly. What both of us do now would not have been possible without all of this technology. So like, I think it's like, important that we recognize that, that some cave time is important for us humans, but technology, if we harness it for good can be pretty freaking cool too. So right. uh, before we go, Rob, why don't you tell folks where they can find you and also a little bit more about your new book.
1: Oh, sure. Uh, RobWolf.com is where most of my stuff exists, podcast and the blog and all that. Wired to Eat should be released March 21st. It's available for pre-orders everywhere. If you do want to pre-order it, you go to RobWolf.com forward slash Wired to Eat. And we have a really cool swag bag on that. There's a what was originally the first chapter of the book called Lies, Damn Lies and Statistics. It was long and pretty uh, historically detailed and technical, and the publishers kind of balked it, including it. But it really lays the foundation from a historical perspective of the economic, political, and academic interface of where our modern food system came from and why we are where we are today. It's actually my favorite chapter of the book, and so I'm kind of stoked that it got repurposed as a bonus. And then we have some... folks <laughs> was some just other... like, no, <laughs> I know it's your favorite, but... <laughs> yeah, it was... It was a rough go. That was a rough go. <laughs> the editing process. They're really amazing people, but the editing process it was a rough brutal, go. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, we have some, some great bonuses for people. So if you pre-order the book, definitely check that out. And I mean, the, the basic premise is really trying to look at this, this story of how we eat from this kind of evolutionary bio- biology perspective of how do we eat? Like, what is the fundamental process of, you know, underlying human appetite and what are the things that influence it beneficially? What are the things that may be uh, creating challenges for us? And I, I launched into that because I see a lot of people hit spots with both dietary and lifestyle changes where they, they're making great progress. And then they just kind of throw up their hands and are like, this is really hard. And I'm looking around at my peer group. I'm looking at social media and it looks easy for them. And the fact that it's hard for me means that there's something wrong with me. And I've heard this again and again and again. And the goal with this book is to let people know, one one of the primary goals is to let you know that if you live in this modern world and you find decoupling yourself from social media, from hyperpalatable foods difficult, you're right as rain. There's nothing wrong with that. Everything's working the way that it should. The world's been set up in a way to kind of exploit your evolutionary biology. And we're not just gonna lay back and accept that. But we're not going to uh, vilify ourselves for the fact that we were just born the way that we were supposed to be born. So we can move beyond that kind of emotionality and the guilt. And then we still have plenty of hard work to do, but at least we're not burdened with that emotional sense of I'm a failure. There's something broken in me, you know, I mean, if if the person is in that state it's virtually impossible to get them moving forward. Like they are going to hamstring themselves again and again and again. And so that's really kind of the main thrust of the book. And I mean, I I cover everything from ketogenic diets to autoimmune disease and digestion, like all of that type of stuff is in there, but it has a really different feel of, of uh, trying to give people permission to just be who they are and recognize that, yeah, this stuff is hard. We're still going to do it. There's still a way to figure it all out. But, you know, just just recognize that there's hard work here and that's okay. That's normal.
0: Yeah. Personalized health, personalized medicine. That's that's not easy, but that is the future. We're all going to have to figure out which foods work well for us, which ones don't. Easier said than done. But at the same time, you have a really great way to get started in the book. You have what is it? The
1: seven day carb test. There's a 30-day reset, which is kind of an anti-inflammatory, paleo-type diet, and then we follow that up with a seven-day carb test where we get really granular about the amounts and types of carbohydrates that folks do best with, yeah. Before we go, just a a
0: quick one. Uh, I think you mentioned banana versus cookie, what that does to people, right? Could could you just
1: explain the difference in in even the same foods? Yeah, so this was some fascinating research that came out of Israel, and they did— some blood glucose monitoring on folks they sequenced their gut microbiome they sequenced their genome then they started feeding these folks different meals and different foods and what was shocking was that there was no rhyme or reason to anything like one person they would eat rice and they would have near diabetic blood sugars another person would eat rice and it was as if they drank water like it barely bumped it up at all but there were some interesting results where one person would eat a banana And they would, again, have almost diabetic blood sugar levels. Same person eats a cookie. And it's like they didn't hardly eat anything, you know. And then an opposite person gets super high blood glucose from a cookie and almost no blood glucose increase from a banana. And and what these guys have been able to do, they've been able to plug this into a machine learning algorithm where they can, to some degree, and I'm vetting this out right now. I'm actually going through this whole process. So I'm I'm in the process trying to figure out what's real and what's not real in this thing. But the idea here is if we get a sense of what your genome is, your gut microbiome, then we'll be able to have some predictive elements for what foods you should and should not eat. Yeah. And um, what that suggests is we can still definitely start with this recommendation of you should probably eat whole, unprocessed foods. But it really calls into question um, these blanket statements, one size fits all deal of everybody should eat paleo, everybody should eat low carb, everybody should eat 30 bananas a I, day. for us. Yeah, 30 <laughs> bananas a day. You know, it really calls into question or, or it suggests that this need for personalized nutrition and getting granular about what's going to work for us specifically. Yeah, very yeah. cool. That will be a, a
0: huge part of what keeps us healthy in the, in the years to come. Look forward to you. Uh, forging the trail with you here, Rob. It's going to be an exciting few years and really respect your work. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And we can't wait to see you here in Austin.
1: I can't wait to to hang out. The wife's coming this year. So you you get my better three quarters. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mine too. Way better. (laughs) All right, Rob. Thanks again.
0: Take care. Before you go, don't forget to grab your listener discount on our 30 day Fat Loss Plan. In this plan, we share 30 days of mouth watering, wild diet meal plans that are designed to help you drop fat with real food. The meal plans are paleo friendly, easy to make, and literally the meals that my wife Allison and I eat just about every day and night to stay lean, fit, and happy. In the program, you'll get the most effective method of meal and nutrient timing to best stimulate fat loss and muscle recovery, the truth about how much protein you really need for your body type. 30 days of specific healthy fat-burning meal plans as a done-for-you nutrition strategy, and tons more. If you check it out today, you'll even get a listener discount. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com forward slash 30 days. That's the number 30, D-A-Y-S. Once again, that's fatburningman.com forward slash 30 days. I'll see you there. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fat-Burning Man. If you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the podcast app, or wherever else you might be listening to or watching this show. Got a second? Please leave me a quick review on iTunes. I always love hearing from you, and if you think someone else might like and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or with a family member. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Fat Burn Man and Facebook by typing in Abel James or Fat Burning Man. Drop me a line anytime. Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man, winning four awards in independent media and hitting number one in more than eight countries? And here's some more good news: you can download and listen to every single episode for free. All you have to do is type in. FatBurningMan.com I'll give you a second to type it in FatBurningMan.com And you'll get all the show notes in video and audio versions For all the past episodes Of Fat Burning Man Better yet, enter your best email At FatBurningMan.com Sign up for my newsletter And I'll even send you a quick start guide To start burning fat right now And a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes As a special thanks for signing up Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free fat burning download straight to your inbox and make sure that you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.